0: Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Brad Marshall, Brad is the author of the blog, Fire in a Bottle, and the man behind the croissant diet, and having done the recent experiment. So, Brad, thank you so much for coming on for an episode for today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, before we begin, um, I just want to let everyone know, yes, we're going to be talking about croissants and the croissant diet, because this is something that I recently came across on your blog, fireinabottle.net, and... I want to just educate listeners more about this because you're coming from a ketogenic, carnivore, low-carb background, yet you came up with this concept of the, cro- of the croissant diet. So it, if you wanted to explain to someone, um, what is the croissant diet?
0: So the croissant diet, I did um, sort of an experiment based on um, my idea that a, a sort of primary factor that affects uh, sort of energy balance on for an, for an animal or an organism is the ratio of fats, basically the quality of fats rather than um, quantity of specific macronutrients. And specifically, it seems like um, diets with a high ratio of saturated to unsaturated fats uh, tend to cause leanness, essentially. Um, and so I wanted to I wanted to test this hypothesis and I, you know, I didn't want to do it in the context of a ketogenic diet because I wanted to show that it was in fact, um, you know, the, the fat ratio that was causing weight loss as opposed to, um, you know, the fact that it was a low carb ketogenic diet, uh, and, and hence the croissants and and the, the croissant obviously is, uh, you know, associated with France. And that's also kind of a, A an historical reference to the fact that a lot of traditional diets, um, uh, you know, the traditional diet of France, but also anywhere that um, you know, dairy and cultures went all around the world were based on a diet essentially of a lot of saturated fat and starch. And um, you know, I'm aware of the irony, you know, if you look, I think, at the keto community and recommendations, everybody says, well, you know. It, don't combine starch and fat, that's the worst possible combination. And, and you'll get really fat if you do that. And and I looked at, but it didn't make sense historically, because, um, you know, I can look back and I say, well, the, you know, the French are eating these croissants and drinking wine and eating sugar, and they and they still stay lean. And why is that? And so, you know, that was a, a kind of disconnect that, you know, I've known this for a long time, you know, I've known about Um, there's a great Cornell pamphlet that I talk about on my blog and it's called eating from the farm. And it was produced around 1940 and it chronicles the diets of these, um, farmers in upstate New York in the late thirties. And they're eating what today people consider to be obscene amounts of dairy fat. And they're also eating, you know, potatoes, like, like, so just to put this in a context, like an average family of four. Um, in the 1940s, every day in their household would go through one quart of heavy cream in addition to you know a full gallon of full fat milk and you know probably uh, half a pound of butter or a quarter of a pound of butter. Um, that was just normal daily household consumption but they would also be eating maybe a bushel of potatoes a week, which is like 40 pounds of potatoes a week so, um, you know, you see a lot of the, and, and if you look at the pictures in those old pamphlets, like everybody's like stick thin, they're like, they're like rail thin. And so, you know, you look historically and you say like, well, why is like all of these cultures are eating starch and dairy fat and they're all very thin and, and why, and why is that? Um, and so that had been kind of like while I was doing keto, and while I was trying carnivore and all these diets over the years, you know, that was the the question kind of rattling around in the back of my head is I, I knew that to be true. But yet, um, you know, the everybody's saying, well, don't don't combine starch and fats. Right. And um, and then I stumbled across the blog Hyperlipid um, by Peter. Uh, I don't know how to say his last name which is kind of embarrassing but that's okay dom browski i don't, i'm not sure <laughs> anyways but the the blonde hyperlipid is is fascinating but it's incredibly technically dense it's not an easy read and and he, but he was saying a lot of interesting things and i you know and I, I had to learn a whole vocabulary just to be able to get through one of his posts Um, but it was fascinating what he was saying. And, you know, essentially there is a, um, there's, there's what I like to refer to as a bottleneck in our mitochondria. And what, what's happening is, as we go through our metabolism, um, basically electrons are being pulled from, uh, the, the, this hydrocarbons that we eat, you know, uh fat and starch, they're all made out of hydrogen and carbon. And those are all high energy bonds. And and so when you um basically what's happening is we're stripping them of electrons and those electrons run through something in the mitochondria called an electron transport chain. And as those as those electrons run through um you know, they're, they're pumping, they're making this proton gradient and the mitochondria is like a little battery. And, um, and when those protons run back through ATPs generated, obviously that's the very quick nutshell version of that story. Um, anyway, in the process of all of this, that's kind of a a very high level view of how mitochondria work. But in the process of all this, there's one point in the beginning where you have, um, Multiple different ways that electrons can kind of enter into this whole process. And they all have to go through this uh, coenzyme Q, it's called. And what happens is in a cell, when coenzyme Q gets overloaded, um, it starts, all the electrons can't fit basically into the electron change. And so some of them bounce back out. And when that happens, it creates a molecule called superoxide, which is a free radical, um, which, you know, when I was at Cornell, I I learned that free radicals were bad and they cause cancer, right? And so that sounds bad to produce these free radicals in the mitochondria, but it turns out that that bottleneck um, is a very well-conserved evolutionary, um, it's essentially a molecular switch. Uh, the bottle, what the bottleneck is, is, um, it's a way for the, for the rest of the cell to kind of know what the mitochondria is doing. The question is, are we burning, um, you know, essentially are we burning starch or are we burning fat? Are we burning carbohydrate or are we burning fat? And the only way that the cell knows that is because when, when we switch over to burning fat, this superoxide is produced. In this kind of bottleneck, and that really is um, that switch is if you look at um, uh, these worms, C. elegans worms. Even um, if you deprive them of glucose, uh, they will switch over to burning their own fat. And when they do that, they it turns out they actually live longer. And the reason for that is that they're they're thinking that they're not in a favorable environment for reproduction. There's not enough you know, there's no glucose around, we're being forced to live on our own body fat. So we're going to change our whole life cycle as a result of the superoxide that's generated in the mitochondria when they switch over to fat. And so that signal is incredibly crucial to how our whole, you know, uh, how an organism deals with energy, right? And it turns out that when you eat, um, unsaturated fats and especially polyunsaturated fats like you find in vegetable oils uh the switch doesn't work anymore um it, due to uh, um the way the the double bonds are in the vegetable oils um it doesn't you know it doesn't the vegetables don't produce enough fadh2 <laughs> which is one of the ways that the electron can feed into the into the uh into the transport uh, chain and so, anyway, long story short is that this is a very highly conserved um, switch that has been working for a billion years, um, and you know vegetable oils break the switch, um, and so that so that's where I got the idea for the for the um, the croissant diet was thinking that okay, well if this is true this suddenly explains a lot, you know, this explains why cultures where they're eating starch and saturated fat are skinny typically. Um, because it's, you know, it explains why, why people eating very similar macros to their grandparents are now obese and their grandparents weren't. It's not that the amount of, fat has changed it's that the quality of fat has changed and i also think that that is you know um i think that 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 change to more unsaturated fats is at the root of a lot of the metabolic problems that we're seeing today um
1: there i just said a lot (laughs) <laughs> that, that was a long way around to, to say why you started uh, making these special types of croissants. So it, if I had to just sum it up then for someone, it's that you have you were just looking at the the science with, on the hyperlipid blog there and you would see that, okay, so there's something he, here to do with the type of saturated fats versus um, polyunsaturated fats. And if you tweak that formula, that ratio that maybe you might be able to Change the way that your your body works, and that's what you were trying to aim to do without changing the carbohydrate per se. Thinking it's just purely a carbohydrate problem here.
0: Right, right, and so, um, right, and and really, what it comes down to, um, it's it's insulin is is at the root of of both of these. So, um, it you know, if you look at a lot of ketogenic diets, the concept is that. Um, you're producing too much insulin and insulin is a trigger to, uh, to, to use fat in your metabolism and store fat, uh, or sorry, use uh, carbohydrate in your metabolism and store it as fat. And, um, it turns out that, that what happens in when the superoxide is produced in the mitochondria is it actually knocks out insulin signaling in the cell so in a in a fat cell for instance and so when you eat a croissant um you're still of course going to produce a lot of insulin but the idea is that that ins- the fat cells are essentially going to ignore that insulin production because uh because of this superoxide production in the mitochondria at the end of the day is what it all comes back to um but yeah and so so the reason for the croissants is that one um you know i wanted to show that i could lose weight without being in ketosis, and that it wasn't necessarily about the amount of carbohydrate in the diet. And two, I wanted to make the historical reference that um, you know, this is a traditional diet. Uh, the idea of combining starch and saturated fat is a traditional thing, and we can show lots of examples around the world of it
1: working. Mm-hmm. And that so when we're talking about croissants here too, we're not just talking about a regular kind of croissant that you that you were eating here just from a store or a local bakery. You made a different kind of croissant. <laughs>
0: yeah. And so, um, so the, the recipe sort of came out of a, a, a woman named Valerie Reeves. Uh, she had done a thesis in which she had uh, tested different diets in these mice. And one group of mice was given a standard low-fat kind of mouse diet and another group of mice was given a diet that was uh, equal parts of fat and, and carbohydrate um, and given uh, a lot of oleic acid, which is the monounsaturated fat in olive oil. And the other group was given equal parts fat and starch, but they were given a fat called stearic acid. And stearic acid is just simply uh, one of the most common saturated fats in in any one's diet like when you eat when you eat saturated fat it's a combination of mostly stearic and palmitic acids but stearic acid happens to be the longest one it's 18 carbons long and what she found was that the mice who were given this combination of stearic acid and starch lost essentially lost a ton of abdominal fat and they were the leanest they were the leanest mice uh the mice given the starch were kind of in the middle and the Mice given the oleic acid, the monounsaturated fat, were the were the fattest. Um, and there was a second there was a second paper that I referenced in the blog too, with with very similar results. Um, and in fact, that one even maybe had more impressive results in the sense of the mice given starch and stearic acid actually ate more than all the other mice, uh, weighed the less, and had almost no abdominal fat. In that second paper, and so uh, I had a couple of papers to go on as references. And, you know, I thought that I would increase the stearic acid content of the, of the butter in the croissant recipe because, you know, Hey, it worked for the mice and I wanted it to work. <laughs> I sort of cheated, you know, I, it's, it was like a, it's like a cheat code in a video game. Like, like if you look at historical France, like they remained lean just eating regular butter croissants. So for most people, many people that might be fine. In my case, I was concerned that I had more, you know metabolic problems from who knows what over the years and so you know i actually added extra stearic acid to the to the
1: butter um like i say because i wanted it to work <laughs> so this is interesting because a lot of the time you know in science um, people go but that was a mouse study or a rat study so we can't you know uh connect it to humans because humans aren't mice or humans aren't rats but in this case, you were willing to do that experiment, do that n equals one, and go. Yeah, you know what? I read this. Maybe the science is there, so let me give it a bash, and I'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, well, I, and yeah, and so like I say, I'm I'm the reason that I was willing to do it is is again just uh, historically, I see it working, and and I've always had that question of like, you know, it's always just been weird to me that to see that, you know, um, our ancestors ate this one way and it worked and we still are kind of eating the same thing, but it's not working anymore. And I'm like, the only thing that's really changed is the fat composition. Like that really is, you know, um, it's the main thing that's changed. And I see that and I go, that's gotta be it. I, I like, I've gotta be, someone has to be able to show that if you go back to this sort of ancestral starch and saturated fat, composition diet that it could work. And I was like, what the heck? Let's give give it a shot. (laughs) You know, worst case is it doesn't work. Right. Um, And then I was, I was astounded at how quickly it worked. I mean, that was like within like two weeks, I, I was like buying the next, you know, smaller pant size. And then two weeks after that, I was buying smaller pants again, you know, And if you go on the blog and you can see the photos and it like, it's, I mean, like my whole body essentially changed its shape. Sorry about that. My whole body essentially changed its shape over like a month. Um, And I was literally the first two weeks, I was literally just eating croissants and I I'm a wine drinker. So I was having lots of wine with my croissants, which I thought was historically accurate for the French. And so, um, you know, my diet essentially for the first two weeks consisted of these, these croissants made with a highly saturated fat mixture. Um, and I was making them into sandwiches. So I would have like, uh, you know, maybe a couple of eggs and sausage and cheese on a buttered croissant in the morning. And then at night I would have another one with melted cheese and pepperoni or something. And, um, and that was the diet. And two weeks later, I mean, you know, uh, somebody took a picture of me at a festival and sent it to me and I was like stunned. I was like, wow, I'm, like I look like a different person. And it's all like I didn't I didn't expect that amount of change in two weeks. Um I thought it would work. <laughs> I hoped it would work, obviously. Um, but, but yeah, I was stunned at at, at the speed of the and also, it was.
1: what I found interesting was I mean, I've seen those photos and they are dramatic of you holding the fish when you were at your heaviest around your midriff there, and then you know, at, at the the picture without your shirts on at the end there. And um what what was another interesting part of your story was that you, again, you've just, so people realize that you've come from a background of reading Western a prize, um, trying to do low carbohydrate eating. And you were also, I think you said in a state of ketosis for several months before you started doing this in it, trying to get your midriff down, but you just weren't losing the weight like you had done in the past. And it was making you think, what well, what's going on here?
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and so I'm, I'm, you know, um, yes, I've been trying and, you know, I'm not the most, uh, I think this probably comes through in my writing. I'm not the most, uh, what's the word rigorous about maintaining a diet, but I, I, I had been through much of the first half of 2019, um, in ketosis for, you know, as much as like probably six weeks at a time, a couple of times, Um, and yeah, no, I was. And so that, that picture of me and the fish, I wasn't even at my heaviest. I'd actually lost about maybe 15 pounds from January 1st until that picture was taken due in ketosis. Um, but obviously it wasn't, you know, my, my abdominal was still right. That wasn't budging. Um, and so even though I had lost that on on keto um it was still you know i was frustrated that i i couldn't lose the weight or couldn't lose it faster and i'd sort of been you know i'd been reading hyperlipid and i'd been thinking about all this in context and i had been sort of gradually working up to the idea of the croissant diet and you know obviously it's it's cheeky and it's (laughs) it's meant to be funny and i i have a friend who was doing um Uh, he was on the, he had started the carnivore diet in probably June or July, uh, probably July. And, and he'd been fairly, you know, he'd been consistent with it and he was sticking with it. And I remember I told him that (laughs) I explained to him what I was about to do. And I was just, I was just laughing and laughing at at how preposterous it all sounded. But I was like, you know, we went back and forth. I was like, no, I actually think this is going to
1: work. And, um, it works, so I don't know. <laughs> so, so I guess um, what, if you compare the kind of fats you were eating when you were going into ketosis versus what you're doing now, is it that ratio again, that quality you were talking about, you feel is the big trigger? Yeah,
0: uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think so. Um, I It's not like I was eating. So like you say, like I've been thinking in this vein for a long time. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not like I was eating badly. Um, You know, I was at the time. I was I was running a butcher shop, so and it was a pasture raised, you know, pasture based meats shop. So like, I had access to plenty of good meat, and I, I'm a I'm a meat eater by kind of that's what I like. I eat a lot of meat traditionally, um, and so you know. Um, And I do get a lot of my calories from wine, which uh, I made very clear in the blog. So uh, the ratios I feel like that I was eating weren't bad because I knew, you know, I've been uh, trying to avoid polyunsaturated fats for a long time, but I still was, you know, probably regularly eating olive oil and avocados and things that, um, you know, are supposed to be good but the more I looked at it, I started to think like, well, maybe those aren't such a good idea either. And so, you know, I, I did a lot of research into like, okay, well, what fats are, you know, is, is, uh, like beef fat in ground beef. Is that a, is what's the ratio of that? And how does that compare to butter? And like, Oh, it's like, it looks like butter is actually significantly higher. That's interesting. Um, you know, what could I do to make it the ratio that much higher? And that's where I had the idea for the stearic acid. And well, like I said, that's what it had been given to the mice in the other trials. So that was already sort of approved approach, at least in rodents. Um, and so I was just thinking, how do I maximize that ratio? And that's where I thought about the butter. And I also, you know, um, I think butter is a great, healthful source of fat because it has um vitamin k2 and vitamin a and a lot of good you know i think as a fat source i think butter is fabulous and so that's where i you know came up with the idea of using butter as the basis and just uh adding the extra stearic to just kind of put it over the top it might have worked with just butter i'm not sure um somebody just pointed out the other day to me uh Do you know who Butter Bob is? And I said no, and I looked up his website, and he was a guy who lost a lot of weight, and one of his catchphrases was, butter makes your pants fall down. makes your pants fall off, I'm not sure which. But, you know, so it might've worked on just regular butter, I don't know, obviously.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, and how did you determine how much stearic acid to add to your butter then? For your croissant mixture
0: well that part actually was fairly straightforward um so stearic acid is the texture is like hard like candle wax um because it's you know saturated fats are really 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 hard at room temperature and so you have to kind of mix them into things and if you mix too much in uh it the whole thing just kind of turns to wax in your mouth. So I sort of decided that if it turns into my, into wax in my mouth, that's probably too much stearic acid. Um, So it turns out you can only get about 20 to 30% stearic acid into, uh, uh, you know, basically I was making ghee. So, so uh, I was removing the, the liquid and the protein out of the butter just so that I could mix the stearic acid in. So when you take ghee and you add about, 20% 20% acid, it's edible and it seems absorbable. And if you go to 35%, you know, you put it into your mouth and it's just, just it's wax. <laughs> so, you know, you have to stay below that melting point. Um, that was re- that was the limit, that's as much as you can do. So that's what I did.
1: And so this kind of fat ratio we're talking about here, that could be the the golden elixir to solving everything. This was only in the croissants that you weren't then putting this all over other kinds of food on top of the croissants, because it sounds like you had the croissant and you put filling in it, like a meat filling or an egg filling or something. But it's not that you then poured more of this liquid, this ghee liquid all over the meats too, right?
0: No, I didn't. I didn't. But I I would butter the croissants. And then I would, you know, I would butter the croissants. I would cook the eggs in the, in the, butter and stearic acid blend um so the eggs would have something on them but but i wasn't you know the croissants are like um you know people think of croissants as being starchy but the actual you know they're actually about two-thirds of the calories are from fat so you know the croissants were keeping me out of ketosis but it's really not a lot of uh carbohydrate calories in a croissant either. And so I think, you know, when you look at the overall macro ratios, okay, you start with a croissant, which is already 65% fat. And then I spread both sides with butter. And then I add cheese and sausage and, and, and eggs, you know, it, the, the, the fat percentage is pretty high in calorically, but it's enough to keep you out of ketosis. But it's, um, but it's, yeah, but no, I wasn't like, drowning it in the extra fat I was just trying to eat. But it's very satiating. And that's what I found is that the and this has been echoed by others who've now tried it is like something about the stearic acid um and that is quite possibly, you know, uh could be caused by the other way that uh satiation is signaled is by um receptors in the hypothalamus and, and when they produce Uh, these superoxide or the reactive oxygen species, that's one of the ways that satiation is triggered. And so like these, these sandwiches were like incredibly, like I would eat one and I would just be like, wow, that's, that's wow. I am really like, that's too much. You know what I mean? So, so there was this huge satiating effect of this butter oil. And so you could, you know, I couldn't really eat that much of it. Um, And so I, you know, how much of the effect was due to the satiation? You know, I think that plays a role for sure, but I think there's also something else going on at a more fundamental level in terms of blocking the insulin signaling. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so, how many meals a day were you eating too? Because was it just two meals a day? Because I guess some people are going to wonder: Were you? And did you end up going through like a intermittent fasting, cyclical kind of eating period, or yeah, like, th- sure th- th- the- window?
0: That did happen. Um and and you know, I kind of talk about this in the article. I, I sort of fell into this routine of like one day having two big meals and then the next day I would have like I'd have a meal I'd be I I was basically I was eating when I was hungry, right? That was the strategy. And so I'd wake up and I'd be hungry and I'd make a one of those big sandwiches and then I could cruise right through till dinner without any, you know, um any real like sometimes it, I would find maybe like three or four hours after a meal, I would get just like a, a twinge of hunger, but nothing like, you know, not like any strong hunger. And I would eat, have a little snack of like a plum or something. And then I'd feel fine. I'd feel great for another four or five hours. Dinner time would come. I would eat, um, I wasn't just eat. Well, the first two weeks I did just eat the croissants. After that, I switched over. I started having like pasta with the butter oil melted on it. Or I would, or I was, I started making pancakes, just fried in the in the stearic acid butter. It turns out pancakes can absorb an incredible amount of saturated fat. Um, and very, so, uh, very
1: French with the crepes, then.
0: Yeah, kind of. Yeah, and so you know, and those. I mean, those pancake meals. I mean, I was doing two big pancakes, uh, fried in the butter on both sides. So there'd be like a whole stick of butter absorbed into them, and then I would put more butter on top of them, and I would have a couple of eggs. And syrup, and I mean, you know, I'm not totally sure how many total calories that is, but um, I would have that, and then I'd have a second meal, and then I would, you know, wash it down with a bottle and a half of wine. So um, there's a lot of. I think I was eating. I think in the be- in the very beginning, I was actually eating a lot of cal. Like I said, I I kind of talk about this in the blog, but. I wasn't even really planning on starting it for real. I was, I kind of started over the weekend and I was really going to buckle down on Monday and like, you know, do it right. But like, I already had lost so much weight over the weekend. I was like, well, that really kind of really jumped the gun on that, I guess. So <laughs> I just kind of rolled with it after that.
1: And I think um, that's, that's amazing too, just what you said there that you j- it was quite immediate to what you were doing like within days you noticed a change in in your weight
0: yes yeah i mean the scale i mean like <laughs> it was, over the weekend i was i mean i think from like thursday to i think from thursday morning to like monday or tuesday morning i was down like seven pounds which is I've never seen that kind of weight loss when he died, and you know, I didn't know if that was real or if it would bounce back, or but it never did bounce back. It just it kept going down. And although having said that, I only one thing I did notice is in the long term there was this immediate drop in body weight, but then my waist continued to shrink at a rate that sort of outpaced the weight loss. Um, you know, I think, I think I only may, I maybe lost 16 to 18 pounds over the, over the about six weeks that I did it. But like, if you look at those two photos, you think, man, I like, I look at those two photos and think I must've lost 30 or 40 pounds, but I didn't. It's, it seems like the effect is very specific to abdominal fat, but I also felt like I got stronger. So I think, you know, I might've added I feel like I added muscle during this, um, you know, I felt like I had a lot of energy. I played basketball every week. And, and one week, you know, one of the guys who I've played with for years after the game is like, asked me in sort of incredulously, he's like, what are you doing? He was like, your game tonight was just off the hook. And I, and I felt that way, you know, I felt strong and I was like, this is great. <laughs> so I've, I've been sort of like, I, I haven't been doing the diet for the last um, month or two because I, I really want to Try it again this winter, but sort of start from a naive state. So I'm, I'm, you know, it's not like I'm like drowning my food in corn oil or anything. But, um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm interested in trying this again, and and you know, getting more blood work done, and and having a few more metrics than just waist size and weight, which is really the only things I was tracking.
1: Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 still is tracking. It's, it's some sort of biometrics, and. Especially that hip um, to waist circumference, what you're talking about around your, you know, with your pant size changing, that's a huge indicator of improving metabolic health typically. So, when you were saying, yeah, suddenly you're going from a a waist size of X down and it's actually getting smaller, that typically is a good sign. And that's what you said was you noticed just kept on happening whilst you were eating these high fat, stearic acid based um, croissants.
0: Yeah, and then later, and then later, pancakes. So I would have this big meal of pancakes, and then the next day, you syrup know, my, too. You said syrup, and my waist would be small because again, I didn't want to. And like I said, and I'd lots of red wine because I wanted to show that, you know, um, yeah, I wanted to show that it really it was about the quality of the fat. I think oh, sort of overrules the other things. That was what I, that that's my, you know, that's my working hypothesis, right? Um, and so, yeah, I wasn't shying away from syrup or I wasn't like drinking cola, but, um, you know, but I had, but I was drinking wine and I was drinking beer at times and I, you know, and I was cheating at least once a week um, because we, you know, we play basketball and we always go to the same taqueria afterwards. So one night a week I was just eating a burrito, like a regular burrito. And, you know, I don't know what's in that burrito. And so, you know, I, I, and, you know, some days I was just busy and I would just like, well, I was like, I need some cheat foods on this, right. Because I'm busy and I'm running around and I don't always have time to cook. So sometimes I would just have a couple slices of pizza or a cheeseburger, right. With the bun and everything. Cause I didn't want to, I was like, well, if this is, these are the foods that I know aren't going to screw up the fat ratios, you know what I mean? And, and it's in the same line of it's, you know, it's, it's saturated fat and it's starch. Right. So, um, and yes, a couple of times I was, I just ate ice cream because I wanted ice cream. (laughs) And someone finally posted on the Reddit the other day, they was like, well, what about vanilla Hagen dazs ice cream? Doesn't that fit in with the croissant type philosophy? So it was only a matter of time before someone would go there.
1: Yeah. Um, and that's interesting you brought it up because I was um, reading the subreddit today, which is um, saturated fat. And yeah. as you said, there's already other people now who are wanting to experiment like you. And, and it sounds like they're also getting results. Yeah,
0: I think they are. I think they are. And a lot of people, you know, in the very early going, a lot of people were reporting back that same, like the satiation, you know, it's like, you try this and you're like, wow, that is like, that's, you know, that's really satiating. And like, I, and people were reporting like, yeah, I would eat, I'll, I'll eat these croissants in the morning or pancakes, or a lot of people were doing the pancakes because it's easy and they'd be like, yeah, I have these pancakes in the morning. And then I just all day long, I feel great. I have energy. I'm like, this is great. I love this, you know? And and now pe- it's been a couple more weeks and yeah, people are starting to report weight loss and um, their waist size is going down. And um, so, and it hasn't worked for everybody. You know, there's been a couple people like, yeah, I tried this and it didn't work. I gained weight. And that's not shocking, but um but it does seem like there are quite a few there are enough people now that have reported beneficial results that I feel like I'm not just some freak you know
1: mm-hmm. which I was be-
0: mildly worried about but <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: but it it shows you, get, you know what I find interesting about this is because when when you do meet people on the low carb community or the ketogenic community or the carnivore community as you said it doesn't always work 100% of the time for everyone, sometimes. And then people start questioning, is it because I'm, you know, I'm eating too many calories, I'm eating too much fat, I'm eating too many nuts, I'm, you know, I'm not eating enough of this x, y and z. And this just throws a whole other concept into this, you know, of this differential diagnosis of going, maybe it's, I just need more stearic acid. Like, um, that's yeah. the, that's the, the key here. I just need that type of fat and that will just help my mitochondria, help my fat cells. And then next thing I'll, I'll, I'll be, I'll get out of this plateau or weight gain situation and be able to lose, lose that weight.
0: Yeah. Well, there's a really interesting paper that a lot of people have kind of seized on and they gave, um, They gave uh, people these uh, kind of banana smoothies. And somehow, I don't really understand, I've been meaning to try this at home. This sounds gross, but because, like I said, the stearic acid is basically like wax, but they took like 28 grams of stearic acid, which is quite a bit, and they blended it into a banana smoothie. And people drank these smoothies. And then within, I don't, within like four hours or six hours, they took uh, blood cells. I don't remember the like some kind of white blood cell and they they extracted the mitochondria or they, I guess they took electron uh, microscopy slides of the cells. And what you can see is that within a fairly short period of time after consuming the stearic acid, their mitochondria actually fuse together. Um, So they show, you know, in this picture, it's like you have, you know, and before they took these shakes, they went on basically a vegan diet for two days. And after two days of the vegan diet, their mitochondria are all dissociated floating around. And then they drink this, this shake with, well, it's bananas. So it's starch and stearic acid. And like four hours later, their mitochondria in response to the stearic acid have fused together. Um, and they use this other indicator to show that, fat was actually being burned that fat was preferentially being burned by these fused mitochondria um and so that you know was part of the i wrote earlier so before i tried this i published the whole the ros or the reactive oxygen species um theory of obesity which again was inspired completely by by peter over at hyperlipid but i but his blog is so dense and i wanted to put something out there that like you know an average smart person could come in and at least hope to understand it's like, you know, once we start getting into electron transport chain and the mitochondria, it's obviously, you know, it's complicated science, but I, I think I did a reasonably good job of, of putting it out there in a way that it's like, okay, I can kind of understand this. Um, and so that paper had been out there and that whole theory had been out there before I actually did the diet but um, yeah, something, there's something about looking at that, what I now call the, the banana milkshake paper. But when you look at that paper and you see those images of the fused mitochondria, you think to yourself like, yeah, there, there might be something to this. This isn't just, um, you know, it's not just hocus pocus. Like there's some real biological
1: mechanism happening. Or maybe um, that ties into what you were talking about with your basketball game, and that if your mitochondria were performing better, that's where your energy feeling came from.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, sure, and and I and again, I like I feel like I gained, I feel like I gained muscle, um, and I, I wasn't you know I wasn't working out any more than I normally do. I didn't, I wasn't doing anything to like bulk up, but I feel like I did anyway, mm. um, and, and you know. I don't know what the mechanism of that is but it's interesting.
1: So with stearic acid we've talked about is how easy is it to get this stuff?
0: So <laughs> well first off uh you know stearic acid is in like probably every food you've ever eaten. Um you know even canola oil is like 5% stearic acid. And so some foods naturally um obviously are higher in stearic acid than others so um you know, butter is like 10% stearic acid and beef fat is even higher. It's like 18% stearic acid. Um, And cocoa butter is even higher. It's like 33% stearic acid. Um, But they, you know, you can buy the stuff commercially and it's actually, you know, it's used for, um, uh, they use it to like make candles more firm. They use it in soaps. So it's not really thought of as something that you eat, <laughs> but so you can get it. Uh, the only thing is the stuff that's out there is mostly, mostly is mostly a 50, 50 blend of, of uh, stearic and palmitic acid, which is like still a saturated fat, but it's a little bit shorter chain saturated fat. Um, there's some evidence out there that the stearic acid is more potent than the palmitic acid. The stearic acid is the one that really is, is, working now i'm not 100 percent certain that that's true um but it's certainly possible and so I, i've actually just gone out and i found there's um put a shameless plug in here but we've just found there's there's a 90 percent pure stearic acid that no one was selling in kind of small quantities but we just went out and bought a bunch and we're going to be reselling the kind of like one pound packages on the website. So that's the first time that I... So when I did the experiment, you know, I didn't have the 90% stearic acid. I had... Sorry, lost my earphone again. I had the 50% stearic acid and that worked fine. But in this winter, I'm going to use the 90% stearic acid and see if that makes any difference. I mean, it couldn't really go better. So I don't know what I'm expecting to
1: get, but... Be interesting. Yeah, yeah, and you don't think it's going to change the taste having less... Oh, more. I, I don't think so. It, it's
0: relatively tasteless. You know, okay. it's not,
1: yeah. And so and from a safety point of view, as you were saying, most people don't think of just buying stearic acid and using it. But it is, from what I was reading today, I, I do believe I, I saw that stearic acid is added as a food additive in certain foods too. So it is used in food products.
0: Right. And I mean, like I say, like... When you eat, when you eat beef, it's already twenty percent stearic acid, you know, and and the and the final butter oil is only so. I wanted to keep it well within the range of sort of normal foods, right? I didn't want to, I didn't want to take it to some strange ratio that it, like is not a natural food, and so. Um, there's a, there's a Cordain paper from like 2004 where they went out and they, uh, uh, they looked at wild elk and caribou and other wild animals. And they looked at the back fat and, and those animals were up in the 33 to 35% stearic acid range. And the, the butter I was using is like 20, maybe 28%, something like that. And cocoa butter, like I say, is 30, 33%. the butter that I was using is well within the range of biological norms for, you know, stearic acid content that you would find in normal foods. Um, and, you know, and some people are trying this diet using, using cocoa butter, which I think is appropriate. Like I say, I like butter because I like getting the vitamin K2 and the vitamin A and the, and the butyrate, which is, you know, maybe good for gut health. And the other, I think there's a lot of good things about butter, which is why I, which is why I stuck with the butter, and obviously, it goes along with a the croissant theme, so <laughs> that makes
1: it funny. And did you come <laughs> across any concerns with stearic acid or consuming stearic acid from your reading?
0: Um, I, you know, I I feel like almost everything out there about stearic acid is is it makes it sound quite beneficial. Like even in the, you know, and what's another funny thing about this is that. Even in the '90s, they were doing some testing on stearic acid with mostly good results, and, um, and I, it, it's a funny thing, you know. It's because I look at it and I'm like, why didn't why didn't someone try this sooner? Like, you feed this to mice and they get skinny. Like, you would think someone would try it, but I, I think maybe part of that is pushback. You know, I think a lot of researchers are. Scared to say, oh, saturated fat is really good. You know, like that's that isn't that's not what you're supposed to say, right? And so I think there's been a lot of really positive tests with stearic acid over the years, and I think it's it's been overlooked because you know um if you're a researcher and you're counting on your funding coming in from the university or whatever, you don't want to shout out from the rooftops. Oh, we should all be eating way more saturated fat. Like that's you know you're gonna get looked at funny by your peers i think if you do that and so i guess that's why it probably took someone like me to come along and go well i'll do it (laughs) (laughs) but yeah but i no i haven't seen anything that really you know made it seem like a bad idea or scary um i did have one uh uh this is the thing that did happen so early on um I there was a this was probably in the first week I had some, sort of like a I don't even know how to describe it a lightheadedness for maybe an hour or two and this is a, a feeling that I used to get a lot as a teenager um and I I don't know, I don't know what it is to this day. It's like when I, I remember when I was 16 or 17, I used to get this all the time and it was often while we were playing basketball, I'd be doing a lot of physical exercise and I'd get it just kind of like a I don't know, like a lightheaded kind of spacey feeling. Um and I haven't had it. I haven't felt that again in years. And that didn't happen like the first week of the stearic acid and I have no idea if it's related or not, but it's one it's the one thing that I that happened that I was like, "Well, that was weird." Um but other than that, it's been fun. The other thing I will say is that in the beginning I didn't uh you know I didn't really having never used it before, I didn't I didn't even know how it was gonna show up. And then it comes and it's this kind of like a, like a it's like granular. It's like little beads of wax basically. And and I wasn't clever enough at first to like blend it into the other oil. And so I I I was just mixing the kind of this granular mixture into the flour to make the croissants and so it wasn't integrated with the other fats and that definitely uh gave me a little bit of digestive upset but once i learned to incorporate it into the butter at the regular ratio so that it's so that it was absorbed properly then that kind of solved that problem too so um those were the only real you know kind of drawbacks that i found um it's a little bit of a the, the stearic acid has a little bit of a kind of a chemically smell. And I don't know if that's the smell of stearic acid itself or something to do with the, the purification process, how they separate it out. Um, but I'm curious how the 90% is going to sort of smell and taste when we get it in, but we'll see.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I get, and again, I think it's good points there, um, is yeah, it's this waxy stuff that comes and you have to figure out how to blend it into the oil so that it actually works properly. And you're not going to just be chewing on bits of like, I could only imagine like beeswax or as you said, a candle earlier on, you just want bits of candle coming through as you're eating. <laughs> That's pretty much what it is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah that, could, that could definitely make you quite full. Um, and so... Uh, Cost wise too, is it, is it an expensive product in general, the stearic acid to be able to get right now? It's not
0: very expensive. Um, you know, the, you can buy the, the sort of, uh, the 50, 50 blend is, is you can buy it for like, you know, a few dollars a pound. Um, it's a common enough thing, you know, it's not like it's, like I say, it's in everything. It's not, in particular, uh, what's the word shortage, right? There's plenty of it to go around. Yeah. Um, the, the 90% stuff is, is more expensive and harder to find. Uh, so that's a little more expensive, but it's, you know, you don't use that much of it, you know, like a pound, even if you're eating a lot of it, a pound should last a couple of weeks. Um, so you're real. it's really, you know, I wasn't eating more than probably. You know, I was eating a lot of the butter oil, but in terms of how much stearic acid was I eating? Well, maybe like twenty to twenty five grams a day. Um, you know, in addition to the butter, because it's, it you know, so it's not. You're not talking about a
1: gigantic. You're not rock.
0: eating pounds and pounds of the stuff. It's like a pound spread over two weeks is probably more than anyone would need or enough.
1: So you said about twenty to twenty-five grams a day is all you were having to mix into your butter mix.
0: Yeah, and the the you know again the banana milkshake study showing the mitochondrial fusion that was in response to I believe off the top of my head twenty-eight grams of stearic acid. So it's not you know, and when you look at there's a somebody posted on the subreddit an interesting um, chart that's from like the cattle association, but it was like sources of stearic acid in the american diet and and they they kind of broke it down it was like oh well americans get three grams a day from beef and you know two grams a day from this and two grams a day from that but but at the end of the day i think they said the total amount in an average american diet was like six grams a day um so if you're if you're eating if you're getting you know 25 grams you're getting basically fourfold more than average and you know i don't know how does that compare to someone on a on a beef-based carnivore diet i'm i'm not sure but um you know and, and then and then i guess but then but we should also say um am i 100 percent sure that it's stearic acid specifically or if it's Uh, saturated fat in general, or is it the ratio of saturated to unsaturated fats? Um, I I don't know. You know, obviously that's the answer, but, you know, I originally went into this not with the idea that stearic acid was a magical thing, but more that, you know, by eating more saturated fat and less polyunsaturated fat, and yes, even less monounsaturated fat, that that was what was going to, you know, increase the, it's really about the ratio of FADH2 to NADH that happens um, in the mitochondria during, during uh, metabolizing saturated fats. That's what's driving the superoxide production in the mitochondria. And that's what is knocking out insulin signaling uh, in the fat cells and basically making your fat basically making your fat cells ignore insulin. Insulin is the signal to the fat cells to kind of turn off fat metabolism to start going into glucose metabolism and to store energy. And so the idea is this, this high ratio of saturated to unsaturated fat is basically knocking that signal out. Um, and, and, you know, more and more, I'm starting to think that Maybe both of those things are true. I think that the ratio of saturated to unsaturated fats is uh, probably disabling insulin signaling to the fat cells. There may also be some magic in stearic acid at the same time, distinct from that phenomenon. So I I think there's probably two different things happening. Um, So I don't know, you know, I'm not sure to the extent that, like, Would this diet have worked just as well if I had supplemented with a lot of palmitic acid, the other long chain saturated fat, you know, maybe it would, I'm not sure. I obviously I can't go back and redo it, but, but I will say that the quote unquote stearic acid that I was using in retrospect was probably a 50, 50 blend of stearic acid and palmitic acid um, in addition to the butter. Um, So we haven't tried the good stuff yet—the the ninety percent stearic acid, which I think is arriving like the day after Christmas or something. But
1: nice. Okay, so that's your Christmas present to yourself.
0: Yeah, <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because that actually got me thinking. There, when you were talking earlier on about looking in the past and how, um, say, but we'll call it like a French paradox again—that um, is it that the french had higher levels of stearic acid levels as you were just mentioning about the average american uh, only having was it 6% or what 6 six, cr- 6 grams per day 6 grams a day so is it that maybe in the past because i know you've done a recent blog post about bacon and the food, you know the ratios that american bacon has versus european bacon and how that makes such a difference to the quality of the fat too and i'm just wondering is it that naturally in the diet that we would have had higher grams of stearic acid for whatever reason i don't know if that's if you feel that well that's i mean time.
0: we we would have but like you know well like i say i mean I, it, I i find there's a there's a post on my blog called uh the french diet in upstate new york and that's you know that pamphlet from cornell i feel like is just um immensely valuable it's seeing like, okay, what what did farm families actually eat, you know, historically? And you can see that they were consuming, you know, what but by today's standards would be considered massive amounts of dairy fat specifically. And they were also consuming lard and they were consuming beef and they were consuming pork and they were consuming eggs, but but the but the majority of fat the easy majority of fat in those diets and i calculated on average something like 165 grams of essentially i think that was all animal fats um in that diet or maybe it was 180 grams of animal or well uh, i have to look at it again. maybe it was 1600 calories but it was somewhere around in there um approaching 200 grams of fat per day with 75% of it from dairy sources, and all of the other sources are animal sources. So, yes, you can say that that diet would have been very high in stearic acid, but you can also say that the saturated to unsaturated fat ratio would have been very high. You can't really say which one it is with any kind of conviction, I don't think. Um,
1: Jury's yeah. still out on that one. That's, that's yeah. a question to be answered at some stage.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: So I've got to ask you too. Eating so many carbohydrates coming from a low-carb situation, were you concerned about your blood glucose levels at all?
0: Uh, you know, I I wasn't concerned about it. Um partly that might just be me. <laughs> I didn't monitor them and I don't know what they were. So I <laughs> I unfortunately don't have a lot to say about that. I I, I will say that um there is there's some evidence uh out there that eating a lot of saturated fat and maybe stearic acid specifically um increases your your basal glucose metabolism. So this is another thing that I don't know how widely understood this is, but um so we all used glucose in the absence of insulin. Um there's two different. Well, there's more than two, but there are at least two different types of glucose transporters. The ones called uh, GLUT4, and that is the one that responds to insulin. So, when you eat, you know, you eat a meal with starch or protein, because protein also, you know, stimulates insulin production. Um, when the insulin attaches to the cell, this GLUT4 is is moved to the cell surface. And its job is to take in glucose. Um, So the GLUT4 is really what's bringing glucose into the cell. But there's another one called GLUT1. And that one is sort of functional all the time, whether or not insulin is present. Um, And so, you know, you can use, we all use a fair amount of glucose uh, through mechanisms that are totally independent of insulin. And it seems like, in mice anyways, well, we go down the whole rabbit hole of SCD1, too, but there's a gene that uh, if mice are incapable of making monounsaturated fat and they basically can only make saturated fat, um, they upregulate this GLUT1, which is the kind of basal insulin-independent glucose transport. And I suspect there's probably an aspect of that happening in, in response to a high saturated fat or a high stearic acid diet is that you actually improve your ability to use glucose independently of insulin um but that's a really that's purely speculation that's just a something that i've thought about i don't know
1: well cool. again something to be tested but yeah this, this is the beauty of things you know i think we all end up testing on ourselves who knows no one's got right. the answers but I, I find it interesting again, especially come across this from that low-carb ketogenic carnivore community to think here's someone who lived in that world and was willing to try this, which would <laughs> just seems so left field <laughs> and actually got a result. And then you got to, it does, it makes you think like, what what, is there something else here that um, for a certain type of person or a certain situation that you need X, you know? maybe this right. is unlocking some more information. It just helps right. create more questions. So.
0: Right. And and I think there's a lot, I think there's also a lot of um, just kind of like misunderstanding about what is, you know, when we talk about fat ratios of like saturated fat to unsaturated fat, like most people probably don't understand that the saturation level of butter is significantly higher than the saturation of fat and ground beef, which is significantly higher than the saturation level of most lard, not necessarily all lard, but, you know, I think people think, oh, butter, beef, lard, it's all saturated fat. When in reality, they're all blends of different fats, and some of them are significantly more saturated than others. And I don't even know how much that's been part of the discussion but i think it's an i think it's an important part of the discussion and it's something that's been kind of neglected so i'm trying to do my part to get that into the you know and obviously that's what the my article about american bacon was um just this last week is you know a lot of bacon is actually very unsaturated i mean in my opinion you know as much polyunsaturated fat as canola oil in some cases um due to the pigs being fed essentially the waste product of the ethanol refinery industry that you know they're making maybe international listeners don't know this but in the US something like 30% of our corn crop is made into ethanol uh that we then blend in with the with the gasoline and burn in our cars um and this creates a tremendous amount of this kind of oily fibrous high protein byproduct called dry distillers grains um and of course the corn industry and the ethanol industry and the hog industry are all concentrated in the u.s midwest and so uh these ethanol factories take the starch out of the corn turn it into ethanol we put that in our gas tanks and the rest of that the leftovers of that process are fed to the pigs and that makes a very high you know a, a pork fat that's very high in polyunsaturated fats um and so which means that you know the the fat composition of pigs in America changed dramatically in the first decade of you know the 2000s between it was This all happened during the Bush administration, so in between 2000 and 2008, essentially, when all these ethanol facilities were built. And suddenly, without any warning to the public, without anyone ever realizing that it was even happening, uh, you know, the fat composition of our pork changed. You know, and this could have major health consequences, but I don't, you know, I don't even hear people talking about it. Um, you can find industry articles because they, their major concern is if you have too much polyunsaturated fat in the bacon it's gets hard to slice and uh and an industrial slicer so they're just trying to keep they're just trying to keep the bacon just firm enough that they can slice it on an industrial machine that's their only concern they're not thinking about human health and they didn't even really tell us that they were doing that but that's what happened
1: interesting yeah so i mean that's a so you don't put bacon on your croissants now then
0: If I do, it's, it's bacon that I, that I know. And then I trust, I'm certainly not going out and buying commercial bacon. And you can, and, and, you know, as a butcher and as a pig farmer, I also can tell how by the firmness of the bacon, you know, this is the thing. So, so if you pick up a, um, if you pick, uh, if you take the bacon out of the package and the whole thing just kind of like flops you know that there's a very high polyunsaturated fat content if it's nice and firm and stiff um and if when you render out the bacon fat if at room temperature it's 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 pretty firm you've got a higher quality bacon than if it's one that you know once you render out the bacon fat if it gets up to room temperature and it's still just like soft and greasy that that lard has a lot of polyunsaturated fat in it
1: because I'm just thinking people going carnivore or ketogenic sometimes, they may eat more bacon, more streaky bacon, more fatty bacons. But right. maybe you've you're been exposed to more polyunsaturated fats through that process now unknowingly. And if you're saying that there's certain people who need more of a saturated stearic acid route, this is what's causing weight plateau, weight gain. Maybe I don't know. Yes. I'm just coming up with. The...
0: No, I, that's, no. I mean that that is literally exactly the argument um, that I that I have made, and I think I made at the end of that that bacon article is, you know, and, and chicken fat is the same way. So chickens in America are routinely fed soybean oil for no reason other than it gets them to market one or two days faster. But as a result of that, it means again, most chicken fat in America has roughly the same amount of polyunsaturated fat as canola oil. So, you know, if you're your carnivore diet and you're eating, you know, a whole roasted chicken and eating the eating the fat, and the next day you wake up and you eat, you know, whatever, a half pound of bacon and you you, you know, leave a lot of the fat in and you eat that, all of a sudden like you've unwittingly ingested what's essentially a bunch of soybean oil and corn oil, but it's just been run through a chicken or a pig first before it got to you. Um, You know, and, and I think that's a topic that has been neglected by the community. And a lot of people, I, you know, I come from a a pig farming background and, uh, and so I've been, you know, these are issues that I've been thinking about a lot is like, how does, how does, you know, I looked at for years, how, what I feed to these pigs, how does it affect the firmness of their fat, you know? So it was, it was a topic that I was like, had a laser focus on. And now I see in the broader context, it's like this, you know, this is probably a real problem, especially with the ethanol distilleries and the dry distiller grains. And there's also the really interesting, like, um, you know, and I talk about this article, but European pork is typically, at least I think this is changing to some extent, but if you go back historically, most European pork, especially from the northern nations, um, you know, the Scandinavian countries have been big pork exporters, and especially to England, and they typically finished pigs on barley instead of corn. Um, corn is a hot weather plant, it doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't grow well in Scandinavia, and so they would use barley instead. And barley makes a firm, pork fat that's very low in polyunsaturates and corn makes a significantly softer, greasier um, pork fat. And traditionally American pigs were um, discounted or American pork was discounted in the European markets because it was, it was soft and the consumers wanted the firm fat. Um, And so that's all very, you know, and you start to see very interesting parallel between like you know the the ecology and the climate and how that affects the the feeds given to the animals and how that affects human health so you know you start to see the whole you start to look at it from the whole chain right it's not just about pork is good or pork is bad it's like well you know where was it grown what did you feed it 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 it, it makes you know Uh, Yeah, somebody said on the blog, it's not about what you eat. It's about what you eat eats. Mm -hmm. And often that's true. Incidentally, while we're on the topic, uh, ruminant animals, uh, cows and sheep and goats do a trick where the, the bugs that live in their rumens actually hydrogenate the fat. So if you feed vegetable oil to a cow, it actually turns it into saturated fat. And so, even if a cow is finished on corn, you don't see the same um, soft fat like you do in a pig or a chicken. Now, I'm not necessarily saying that's a good idea, and it does affect the omega six to omega three ratios in the beef, etc. But, but I'll, but the majority of it ends up as saturated fat anyway. Um, it's specifically the pigs and the chickens where, you know, they really are what they eat. Um, and they seem to accumulate the vegetable oils. Um, and there's a, there's a genetic component and we could, anyway, I could go on that title for
1: hours, but that's, that's quite a bit already. (laughs) (laughs) Well, again, it's, it's important. Um, and it's exactly that comment you had on your blog. It's when you start delving into your health and you're looking at good food quality, you, you know, you want to go through the whole chain of events because it does it has a domino effect and it's always good to realize like oh this is the history this is what's changed over time you know geopolitical social economics whatever it happens to be and that's what's affected the food chain here so fascinating to hear that yeah yeah um Brad, we've come up on our time here. I mean, we could probably just keep talking for hours here on a whole bunch of stuff, but i, I this one was really just to introduce people to the Croissant Diet, and I think you gave a really good overview about this, and I'm sure they're going to have so many more questions, a little nuances I probably didn't answer, or I didn't ask you. yeah, but um if anyone wants to catch up with you, follow you, you know, ask Brad more about what is this? Can I do this? you know, all these kind of questions. Sure. Um, where can they find you?
0: Sure. So, uh, yeah, great question. Um, so, I've been—I'm—I'm I'm not uh, traditionally a social media user, so I'm—I'm I'm very new to all this. Um, I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is fire underscore bottle. Uh, fire bottle. Um, they can always. A lot of people are posting on the fireinabottle.net blog itself, and I try to get to all of those posts and respond to them within. A couple of days, um, I've I've kept up with that, and there's also the the subreddit that we mentioned at uh, Reddit slash r slash saturated fat, and I've I try to keep up to date on that, and and I respond to most people's questions on there as well. So um, any of those work, or you can just email me. Uh, it's just Brad at fireinabottle.net. dot net.
1: Okay, great, and I'll list that all in the show notes for everyone because again, I know this is gonna this. I feel this is a, a new thing that's going to be talked about quite a bit into 2020. Like, it's just going to get people asking questions here.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's there's been a lot of questions already. So, we're uh, trying I, I, to the, the, one of the most one of the most common questions I've gotten so far is how do I get my hands on the stearic acid and what is the best source? So we we're, we're doing some sourcing of that on the fire in a bottle website itself. So, um, hopefully, that question will become less common going forward.
1: <laughs> Well again yeah people love experimenting and I think you've just opened up a whole new experiment for people to try out here.
0: Right yeah exactly. Well,
1: again Brad thank you so much for your time today and um yeah, I really enjoyed our interview. All right thank you. It was great.